When you enjoy the outdoors, you should try to pick up at least one extra piece of like litter. more, walk more, drive less. Before buying something new, consider used or secondhand options. Choose to repair rather than Challenge replace. Challenge yourself to go free of plastic, maybe just Instead for a month. Instead of throwing out your vegetable scraps, save them for a compost pile. This returns their nutrients to the earth. Here's the thing. These small actions, these little steps towards living a more sustainable life, they don't really matter, do they? I mean, anyone who thinks skipping that straw is going to save the world is kind of kidding themselves, right? At Plant With Purpose, we're often talking about sustainable living, and this is a criticism that we hear all the time. Uh, it's really common for people to say that focusing on individual lifestyle changes is ineffective. It doesn't actually address the heart of the issue. Uh, we shouldn't put the responsibility on individuals. Big corporations are the ones who need to make the change, not the consumers. These are the types of things we hear all the time. One common statistic used in support of this argument is that 71% of all carbon emissions are the responsibility of just 100 companies. So, do our small actions actually make a difference? That's a big question, and it's one worth asking. And we're asking it today on Grassroots. Welcome to the Grassroots Podcast, a Plant With Purpose production. This show features global conversations about the environmental challenges that we're facing and what ordinary people are doing in response. We're going beyond doom and gloom. We're looking at root causes, talking to people on the front lines, and asking ourselves, what can we do? There's reasons to be concerned, but there's also a case for hope. I'm Christy heisinger Renault, And I'm Philippe Lazaro. Let's dig in. Ever since I began my journey of proximity to people who are more affected by environmental issues, that's challenged me to have less and less of an impact on the planet through my own life choices. Now, I've started to try and make better decisions at the grocery store. In fact, I've tried to go to the grocery store less and spend more time at farmer's markets buying from local producers. That's not always the easiest thing to do, but I've been trying. And I've made other choices. When it was time to replace my toothbrush, I bought a pack of bamboo brushes instead of a plastic one. I stopped using uh, dryer sheets and started using these reusable felt balls. For me, going without straws was a pretty easy adjustment because I always just preferred to pop the lid and drink from the cup, so I decided to go back for that. And altogether, these things were actually fun for me. Um, you know, I never felt like I was doing this out of a sense of obligation, but it's more like... My daily life provides me with so many different opportunities to find areas in the margin where I can make one more sustainable choice. And I enjoy that hunt, and I'm not the only one. You can easily go out to many stores and find so many different products made from bamboo with recycled packaging, green colored logos. It's all marketed as environmentally friendly. There's a lot of different people trying to make the planet healthier through a bunch of different decisions. Often, they kind of feel like marketing sometimes. But of course, as I learn more about what really contributes to the planet's unhealth at a global level, I realize maybe these little choices aren't actually doing much. I mean, there's that 100 companies statistic. I don't have much say in what those 100 companies do. Uh, the extraction of the Amazon rainforest is another big threat to the planet, and I don't have a lot of control over that. 
Even locally here in San Diego, I don't have much say in my city's waste management policies or water issues. And I think when you go down this line of thinking, that leads a lot of people who'd be concerned about the environment to feel like your options are either go big or go home. Uh, I know I'm not the only buddy who thinks about it that way. I came across a video by a popular vlogger, Leah Norms, and here's how she put it. For the longest time, I was hacking and tweaking my life, spending hours accumulating carefully, acquiring eco tools to help my carbon footprint be decreased. While that is something I will continue to cover and look at, I've realized that just doing that to stave off the panic that I find in me has been detrimental to me actually making a difference and saving the humans. I think the seductive quality of this push for individual change is because of our addiction to the idea of me, individualism, the power of one person. Just 100 companies are responsible for 71%. I had to check that number on my screen because I couldn't. 71% of global emissions. Uh, 100 like i'm laughing because you know like when like that the response when you find out somebody dies and you just laugh because it's like a visceral i do believe an individual can change the world if that individual isn't just working on themselves they're looking at systemic change and pushing for a wider shift in the currents wow so 71 companies 71%? 71% of emissions, 100 companies. 71% of emissions come from 100 companies. I also had to double check <laughs> that. Um, that seems unbelievable. Uh, it also seems fully believable. And yeah, so my individual actions within the context of me just being a teeny tiny person who's not, I mean, I do do some things. I fly for a living sometimes, and that that's huge. I drive to work. But uh, yeah, whether I use this cup or that cup is probably going to be really tiny. Is it worth it? Um, I think it's really easy to get lost in the cynicism here. And where I just keep needing to root myself is that I'm, I'm thinking about these issues as a person of faith. And I'm coming from the perspective that a lot of the way that I live my life is designed around how do I live my life to glorify God? How do I be that person that is actively pursuing obedience and is prioritizing God's, the return of the kingdom back to earth over my own personal desires and wants and glory for myself? Um, and so I think that a lot of times one way that I find hope in the midst of statistics like this is just the realization that it's it's much bigger, that God's got this, that I'm one small piece, but that doesn't mean I'm unimportant. It just means that that I need to be thinking more about obedience and more about joining into God's vision of what's good and what's whole in the world and, and aligning myself to fit that. You know, somebody I think would be perfect to talk to about this would be Shane Claiborne. I remember reading a book of his called The Irresistible Revolution while I was in college, and it spelled out what it looks like to follow Jesus in a world with big problems that affect the core, something like climate change or carbon emissions. Shane is dedicated to those small actions. In fact, one way we got to know him as an organization was through his efforts to offset the emissions he accumulates through his travel as a speaker 
by planting trees in partnership with us. For those of you who don't know, Shane Claiborne is a Christian activist and author. He's also the founder of a nonprofit, The Simple Way, which is focused on intentional living in community and the simple goal of emulating Jesus. Shane has written and co-written several books, including Red Letter Revolution, The Irresistible Revolution, Follow Me to Freedom, and Beating Guns. Here's our interview with Shane. Our uh, focus right now is we're asking the question if our, our small actions actually make a difference. Thinking about sustainability mm-hmm. and environmental stewardship, things like that is, I mean, you, you know who we are. So just that's our background. Yeah. But, and so I think we'll just start it off um, having read some of your books and heard you speak. If you could maybe share with us some of those uh, actions or, or choices you've made with how you live your own life with sustainability and, and others in mind, just to kind of spark some creative juices within us and, and whoever might be listening. Well, awesome. I, I don't uh, pretend to be uh, have all this figured out or be living the perfectly environmentally, you know, zero footprint life or anything, but I, I sure have uh, learned a lot over the decades of trying to be more, have more integrity, you know, and I like how, you know, it was Gandhi that said that we need to be the change that we want to see in the world. Or I think it was Chesterton when he was asked, uh, what's the biggest problem in the world? And he said, I am. (laughs) So I, you know, I'm a big believer that we need to try to live out that responsibility. And Dorothy Day, who's been a great teacher and mentor from afar for us, she also said, you know, if every Christian simply made room for the stranger, we would end homelessness overnight and we would, uh, you know, put the foster care system out of business. So we're obviously not there yet, but we can start with ourselves. That's the one thing that we, you know, hopefully on good days can change. And we've been making little adjustments like that. You know, I can tell you, I, I wish I could take you on a little a little track through the house, but we, you know, we have, uh, maybe I can. So the back of the sink, uh, the back of the toilet is the sink. And so when you wash your hands, it goes into the gray water, you know, that's what you flush your toilet with. So there's things like that that people see them. They're just like, Whoa, that makes so much sense. You know, what doesn't make sense is like flushing hundreds of gallons of clean water down the toilet with our waste, you know? So, I mean, just like little things like that, that we've started to do. I do uh vermicomposting in our basement. So I have worms, which I love and um, they eat all of our kitchen scraps. And it's also how it's kind of the magic potion to our urban gardens too. And personally, I can say, you know, a third of my life is traveling. So I, um, have tried to be more and more responsible with that. So I showed up to this one event I was speaking at in Canada and one of my buddies had shown up and he looked terrible. He's all red in the face. And I was like, man, are you sick? And he goes, no, man totally the opposite. He's like, my workshop is on creation care and a theology for caring for the earth. And he said, so it only made sense to me to bike. So he had biked like a thousand miles <laughs> to, to like teach his workshop. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm, that's a long shot for me to bike, you know, everywhere I speak, but I want to try to be more responsible. So we sat down and calculated this idea to try to share the burden of responsibility with all the groups that fly me in to speak. And as you all know, one of the ways that we do that is we calculate the carbon footprint of each of my events and we give folks uh, an invitation to try to offset the carbon footprint. And one of the ways that they can do that is by 
uh, given a financial contribution to plant with purpose. So I think it's more like stirring people's imaginations to how can we live out these values, not just in our workshops, but and not and not maybe not even just by not having plastic or styrofoam, which is awesome. But how can we like build it into the DNA of our gatherings that we try to our means match the end that we're preaching about? One of the challenges that we often encounter is people saying, you know, I'm just, I'm just one person. If I really stop doing these things or change my life, it's not really going to make a big difference. What would you say to that type of person? Well, the, the fact is that a culmination of lots of individuals have, have helped create the catastrophe that we're facing. <laughs> and and it, it kind of just makes sense that actually if we do begin to change some of these things, we can, we can make a huge difference. And, and, you know, just like drops of a bucket that don't come all at once or water doesn't boil, you know, one bubble at a time. But I think it, you know, it begins to, to, to simmer. And, and, and that's how all change happens. Like every movement that's changed the world started with a handful of people that had a conscience and felt like we're, you know, we're going the wrong direction on this, whether, you know, that was segregation or slavery or women's rights. Or um, I think now in our time, a part of that is, is the ecological catastrophe. Yeah. So if somebody were to get the tour of your spot and see all these things, the, the compost and, and the, the sink above the toilet, I think it sounds really fun, but for somebody who's never thought much about how their actions impact the environment like that, it might just seem like a whole different world. I'm curious how how you got started. If there was something that first um, switched on in your mind as to, oh, I want to start um, living my life differently and making choices like these, and then kind of where did you begin? What did you do first, and how did you get from point A to where you are now? Yeah, cool. I, I mean, I think some of this stuff, maybe for some people, it changes when they read a book or they watch a, you know, Inconvenient Truth or whatever the movie is that, you know, like, I think some of our minds change and that like brings about an awareness or something. But for me, a lot of the urgency around this happened because I saw the, the people that are suffering from the brunt of the ecological crisis. Um people in poverty, people that don't even have access to water. Uh, I've been in plenty of communities where that's been the case. And you begin to see that these things that we take for granted are actually massive privileges for much of of, uh, many of the people on our planet. And so it makes less and less sense to just carelessly flush clean water down the toilet when you see people that are walking miles and miles just to get clean water to begin with, you know, and, and, and some of that I think is a geographical thing. There's a certain degree of distance from suffering that um, allows us to not ask questions about how we live. And there's a certain proximity to suffering that really stirs the urgency around these things. So, you know, for Mother Teresa, one of, she was a great uh, influence of mine as well. And there's a beautiful, um, scene in this one documentary on her where they donate this new house to her. She's going to start a house for folks that had, you know, really um, serious needs of assistance in living. And uh, they're like, we just put a new hot water heater in, you know, and all this stuff. And, you know, and Mother Teresa, she so politely says, that's so nice of you, but we won't need that, you know. And, And for her, like, I mean, I know this from being in India, like hot water, warm water was a convenience that she lived without and that many of the nuns live without. 
Um, not because it's a terrible thing, but because living in solidarity um, and in nearness to those who are hurting means sacrificing some things. So I, I think that's, you know, some of what, what I would say is that these, these seem like l- less heroic moves when you see how much of the world lives and you go, wow, th- this actually makes sense. Um, what doesn't make sense is living a lifestyle that is so unsustainable that, you know, in many cases, uh, the average person in the U.S. is consuming the same amount as 500 people on the other side of the world, um, or sometimes not even that far away. You know, um, what's unsustainable is uh, less than 100 people, the richest people in the world, owning the same amount as half of the world's population. Like, that's a very fragile world. So, you know, when people say that we're idealists, I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> it's idealistic to believe that we can still, you know, live into these patterns that are that are so, um, not just unsustainable, but they're so irresponsible when we think of loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, love requires much more of us. One challenge I've had is kind of this tension between wanting to to do these um, small actions, these everyday choices that impact the way other people live, while at the same time coming across stats or things that show that a large amount of the carbon emitted in the world is can be attributed to just a handful of mega companies. How do you uh, balance the tension of still wanting to do as much as as you can individually while realizing that there there is need for systematic overhaul and and these larger level influencers on on what happens around the world. Yeah, it's a really important thing to talk about because I do think that that, that there's many layers of what I would call seeking first the kingdom of God, right? Seeking like what is God's dream for this earth and for this world? What does it look like for God's kingdom, God's reign to come on earth as it is in heaven? A part of that is having access to, to uh, good food, you know, um, nutritious food. A young person uh, once said, it's easier to get a gun in our neighborhood than it is a good salad. And I think of that and the, the, the layers of complexity that that shows. And, you know, in many neighborhoods, I, I don't think ours is not really the worst of these food deserts, but where you actually don't have access to really great food, that's all over our country, you know? And, and so as we think of that, there's a lot of layers of this justice. And one of my mentors put it really well. He said, we all know the saying, you, you give someone a fish to eat for a day, you teach them to fish, they'll eat for the rest of their life. But he says, we also have to ask who owns the pond? And who polluted the pond? And who built the fence up around the pond? And why does a fishing license cost so much? You know, and uh, what if people catch all the fish in the pond? There's not any left. You know, so all of that, 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 that's where the ecological stuff, I think, really comes in, too, to where we go, wow, we, we can do all the work we want in community development, teaching people to fish. But if they're fishing from a polluted pond or they've got water like in Flint, Michigan, or, you know, so many parts of the world, this, this, this is a, we, we've got to do the work of justice and at a macro level. So I think they've got to go together. And I know people that are doing beautiful work, building little communities and neighborhoods that they get tired because they don't see some of the structural or systemic changes. If all you're doing is giving people food and not doing something about why people are hungry to begin with. I think it can start to get tiring. But on the other hand, I know folks that are working on the policy side in D.C. and the U.N. and other places, wonderful folks that 
they begin to get tired if they don't have relationships, you know, if they don't have a snowball fight with kids or play in a water hydrant or just like sit on the porch with someone. So one without the other, they're kind of like blades of scissors. They've got to, they've got to work together if they work well. There is so much in what Shane said that I think is worth repeating or at least making sure we fully absorb. First of all, I like that analogy he used of how water boils beneath the surface. You know, a long series of individual behaviors really have contributed greatly to the situation we're now in environmentally. So I don't think we should overlook the impact that a large series of small behavioral changes could ultimately have. I also really appreciate that he didn't neglect the importance of environmental, structural, and systemic factors. That example of not just teaching a person to fish, but examining the pond is something our international work reminds us of quite a bit. Love people and get to know their context. You can find more about Shane's work on social media at, at Shane Claiborne, and you can also find any of his many books wherever books are sold. The environment is a broad topic, from issues of sustainable living to developing solutions to figuring out how to implement those solutions. We understand that it can be a daunting and intimidating subject for many, but at Plant With Purpose, we believe that we can't just look the other way. We need to dig deeper, to seek understanding and to stay informed. That's why when you visit our site at plantwithpurpose.org, our social media pages at plantwithpurpose, you'll find plenty of opportunities to learn more about topics like reforestation, animal husbandry, and sustainable agriculture. Plus, if you follow us on Instagram, we'll get to plant one more tree. So don't wait. Go ahead and type Plant With Purpose into your search bar. We'll see you there. I think that they do make a difference. The way that we see progress or the way that we see change is through the small incremental steps and actions that we do take. And the quote that comes to mind is the one from Margaret Mead that says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And this quote is helpful for me when I think about uh, creating change because it's easy to get discouraged. So when we focus on the small actions and that gives us the motivation uh, to maintain our momentum in working toward change. One of my biggest lessons over the years that I've spent working in international development has been the importance of sustained small changes. I no longer really believe in the idea of an overnight fix, really. I think something can happen in a moment, something worth celebrating, but true lasting change really only happens with consistent and steady progress. And I think I mentioned on an earlier episode how I spent a lot of time in South Africa, and over there you have this example of apartheid. Apartheid ended in a moment, but that didn't end racism. There's still a lot of work there and so many other places to be done. And also, the end of apartheid only happened after years and decades of movement and influencing others uh, beneath the surface at a grassroots level, if you will. You know somebody else who believes in the power of small actions over time? Nick Lapara. If Nick's name sounds familiar to you, well, it should. We thank him at the end of every podcast episode. He's our show consultant. 
Nick has been a great friend and helper. In many ways, he's the reason for this show. Nick and his wife have three kids, and as a family, they're highly committed to a life of sustainability and simplicity. We, like so many people, we thought we were living sustainably by doing things like recycling, right? We're very militant about our recycling habits, and you know, we were starting to do things like, you know, avoiding fast fashion and these sorts of things. But what we skipped over was, th so this is, this is um, US timeline. Um, about four or five years ago, right around the time my son was born. So we were a few months away from becoming vegetarian, cutting meat, all meat out of our diet. And we were at that time already thinking a, a little more sustainably, we would only buy meat from a local farm. We would split, you know, split a beef with three friends for the year and we would get eggs from the farm 20 miles away where we, you know, we could see the chickens kind of Portlandia style. So we were doing things to head that direction, but it wasn't until I think we made the decision to become vegetarian that we started to think more and more. Um, and so over the course of the, the last four years, it's become an increasing thing in our lives to look at different things. But I would say in the last year is when it really started to take off. Because again, up until about a year ago, we thought we were doing this great thing by recycling, right? So we, we, we had two big recycling bins in our back and one trash can, right? And the trash can, we'd only fill up once a month instead of once a week. And the recycling bins are always overflowing. We thought that was such a great thing. But then all you have to do is look at recycling habits and 90% of that's going to the landfill, getting incinerated, getting shipped over to China. Now they're not taking it. And so I would say over the last years when we started to take it way more seriously, looking at not just food, not just single use plastics, not just composting, which is sort of there's so many things, right? Mm -hmm. It can become a little overwhelming. But yeah, about a year now of really taking it seriously. Nick believes that the small actions are connected to the big picture. The small actions they make in their home in Nashville have an impact at a global level. At a generational level, Nick is okay not seeing the immediate results of his choices. For my own family, for my kids who are four, six, and seven, and for my wife and for our community, it's for me, it's the reminder that I may not get to see the immediate result of the work that I'm doing, and that's fine, right? I'm in this for the long haul, right? So I wanna make change over the course of my lifetime, not necessarily things that I'm gonna see tomorrow. There are some things that I can see right away. There are effects of, there are behaviors that we do that we can see right away, but the majority of them are not. So the big, the big two points of answering your question, remind myself that I may not get to see the long-term results of what I'm doing and that's okay. That's part of me, again, recognizing that I'm not just a global citizen of the world, but I'm also, I'm a global citizen of the next generation and the next generation, right? And I don't, nobody promised me to see immediate results. And then two is just reminding myself that, yeah, it's just little, it is the little things all throughout history that have made biggest changes. It's not the billionaires, it's not the Rockefellers or the Gateses or the Bezoses, it's little people doing little things every single day over an extended period of time, that's what changes the world in a community. Just throwing it back a little bit um, to, to something I've been struggling with. Uh, so you, one thing you've said was that um, you know you strongly believe that uh, the way the world changes is through our small actions, yep. not uh, leaving it to the politicians or the big businesses or the mega philanthropists. Yep. And I I do what I do because I believe in that too. Yep. Um, but at the same time, there you know there facts and talking points and things you often hear of how um, such a large percentage, I forget the actual number, but a, a good chunk of it is of uh, 
of carbon emissions or climate change is can be largely tied to just a small number of very large companies. Yep. And, and there's the reality that a nation, especially a large nation like the U.S.'s uh, environmental policies have such a big impact on what happens globally. Yes. How do you um, process those realities and those facts uh, alongside that belief in the small actions in, in that worldview? Yeah, I think we need, uh, that's a great question. I think about this all the time. Uh, my buddy that I'm staying with here in LA, we, 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 we talked for three hours about this last night and then an hour on the way in this morning. That's really all because sort of the, the small acts sort of come naturally and me talking about that with people come naturally. Right now, my head is in that space. It's how do we, how do we raise up a generation of um, integrity-filled people to become the next generation of business owners and politicians. It's hard for me to envision where the majority of people in government are not beholden to the a dollar amount behind a certain policy or whatever like right now I don't believe doesn't matter like pick your flavor of politician or party or you know whatever it may be there are always going to be people that are not acting with their citizens best interest in mind right like that's always going to happen and I I hate that about the world that we live in but that's there's always going to be entrepreneurs that build companies primarily thinking about how much money they got to they need to make a huge return for their investors so it doesn't really matter how much we uh, screw up the world, we got to make that, that dollar or billions of dollars, right? And so I think that, yes, we need to continue to encourage people to pursue political positions and to, if, 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 if you, if my friends or people in my environment are entrepreneurially bent, like go start businesses and, and put a proper team of people around you that can call you out if you ever stray from the, ver the, the integrity that you currently have, right? If Nick's approach seems like a daunting one to you, it might not be as challenging as you'd think. Here's how he suggests getting started. It is easier than you think to go all in, whatever that means for everybody. Um, it, it, it truly is, and we're not even there yet. And we don't feel, I don't feel that we're overwhelmed at all with the decisions we've made. They're just slight changes that you make to your life and you continue to build up a, kind of build up your immune system toward all these other things and you, like it just, yeah, it's a kind of a gradual thing, right, that happens. So it's not as intimidating as hard as you think it is. Having said that, um, it will require work and discipline that you shouldn't do cold turkey. Build yourself up to it. Big thanks to Nick for taking the time to talk with us. Follow him on social media at Nick LaPara and check out his podcast, Let's Give a Damn. If you're wondering which episode to start with, it's hard to go wrong, but you can always listen to his interview with Christy and myself. We'll link to it in our show notes. It's often easy to feel helpless when talking about the environment but it doesn't have to be this way. All over the world, we see lands and ecosystems transformed through powerful but simple acts, like planting trees. Trees have so much ability to absorb carbon and protect soil that they are one of our planet's best defenses. To help rural communities grow forests, become a purpose partner at plantwithpurpose.org. Interestingly, I've learned from many people in other countries facing environmental exploitation that they're just as concerned with whether or not their choices will have any lasting effect. I mean, changing your habits 
is an effort, so why change if it won't really do anything? I spoke with a farmer in Thailand, Tui, to learn more. In addition to being a farmer, Tui is also an advocate for sustainable farming, and he tries to organize and support his community in efforts to restore their hillsides. Hi, my name is uh, Tui, or you can call me Bun Sak Thongdi, which is my Thai name. I'm a Korean uh, from northern part of Thailand. Currently, I'm a full-time farmer at a, a small farm called Home Incarnate, which is in Mai, Chiang Mai province uh, in Thailand, which is in the northern part of Thailand. In addition to taking care of his own farm, Tui works to help other farmers in the area. The people he works with are often some of the most vulnerable populations in Southeast Asia, ethnic minorities, many of whom are refugees from neighboring countries. And you said a lot of them were stateless, meaning that they're, they're not um, citizens of the, of the nation that they're living in. How does that affect um, their lives and, and what they're able to do? Yeah, if you're, if you're a non-citizen for a nation or a country, um, yeah, all, all things, I mean, all, all the challenges coming to you. Uh, for example, uh, for the children, it's not easy for them to get a good education. Uh, even like uh, health services and other government services uh, where they're living. And, and for the parents and some parents uh, without, without the citizen, it's hard for them to move around. Because some, some, I mean, state, some government, uh, they they restrict the area of those are non-citizen, so it's hard for them to get jobs in big cities, or sometimes they're they don't get good uh, w- daily wage. And for example, if I am not a a Thai citizen, even though I live in Thailand, I cannot own a piece of land. So if I work on a piece of land in the mountain area which is considered the forest area, the national park area. So it can be taken away um, anytime. So these are some challenges of the non-citizen or stateless people. This presents a challenge for Tui as he tries to encourage those communities to care for the land. While these communities understand the importance of a healthy environment, it's easy to get discouraged when at any minute their land can be taken away. It can't be easy for them to feel as though their small actions don't matter. Uh, when when we start, it's not easy because they they didn't feel having a confidence <laughs> because they said maybe one day someone come and take away uh, the land. Those they are tr- trying to protect it. So, but we have to explain to them that there are good examples. Uh, different places, even within Thailand or other countries, that when people come together and and try to work together uh, at the community level or different communities forming a network, uh, trying to help people to see that they are doing really good work. So, so that also help them to have more confidence to start. So, I think these are the two main reasons that why people. Uh, be able to start to join and want to do more on their own t- uh, to protect the environment. And, and do people end up believing that their their actions, whether that's um, composting or, or forest mapping, uh, actually has a meaningful impact on the environment, on the forest? 
Yeah, there are different ways um, uh, uh, to create the impacts. So at the family level, they, they are doing uh, different things. Uh, we, we also talk about soil conservation, which people start to adopt that kind of idea. Uh, the idea of agroforestry, which is not a new thing. Uh, the ancestors been doing this and we just put it in a, a bigger term, agroforestry, but they already understand and get the concept why why the agroforestry. And uh, at the community level, they are doing different things. They have bylaws, uh, not burning fuels in 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 a during a period of time or planting trees together in the forest area, protect the water source area, the spring area, and uh, allocate a grazing area for the animals. So the animals uh, will not, uh, what do you call, uh, disrupt the forest area. So, so these things are um, still practicing uh, now in the communities that we work with. At a day-to-day level, it can be hard for the communities that TUI works with to see the outcomes of their work, just like it's pretty tough for any of us to really see the impact of simple actions taken regularly over the course of time. But after some time has passed, those small actions make a big difference. Here's how TUI describes the transformation this results in. When we, when we ask them what are the benefits of doing uh, the things that I already mentioned, so uh, the first thing they talk about food for their family, and good food, safe food, that means is without chemical. And and another thing is about they said is cool. Cool means it's, it's what do you call fresh air and cooler temperature in the area that they live in the farm. And also uh, more water uh, running throughout the year for, for drinking and also for farming. And also they can see more fish in the stream or river, uh, those, the area that they protected. And also wildlife coming back uh, to the wildlife protection area. So, so these things are, are the impacts that um, they can say that when you ask them about the impacts or the benefits. I totally believe that um, our small actions make a difference um, to the environment. I know for me as a beachgoer, if I see trash or, or something plastic on the beach and pick it up, I, I, each time I do, I keep thinking that another animal or some, it's not going to be going back in the ocean, which animals will eat that stuff and end up dying. So um, I think each little action that we do makes a huge difference. I'll admit, it is sometimes hard to stay grounded, to recognize the impact of our small actions over time, especially when our small actions look extremely mundane. Every day I come in and do a little work on Plant With Purpose's online presence. I'll email our community, maybe brainstorm a future storytelling project. But when I start to ask if this has any impact on the looming environmental crisis, it doesn't always feel like it. We can be so motivated by instant gratification sometimes if Only every time I sent an email I could see a tree literally sprout up, that would be great. But one person who has a lot of good things to say about this is Richard Lee. It allows us to keep in front of us, day to day, 
that we are joining in the work that God is doing. Um, and so it's not actually me doing the work and asking God to help me uh, in the work that I'm doing. It's actually me joining in God's work and saying, God, this is the work that you're doing and I get to be a part of this. And so help sustain me and strengthen me as I'm participating in the work that you're already doing. And what that does is just gives so much purpose and so much joy and so much uh, strength in the day-to-day -day, uh, of joining in the work that God is doing. Because let's be honest, day-to-day, -day, I mean, I look at a lot of Excel and I look a lot at uh, a lot of Outlook. And so it's not, you know, dramatic and always work that is directly engaging, you know. And so what ends up happening is that when I see all of those things, it's reminding me of the purpose behind every email, the purpose behind every chart and every graph and every box in Excel. Richard Lee is the Director of Church Mobilization for the International Justice Mission, IJM. We talked a bit about their work in the first episode, I used to work there, but IJM is on the front lines of rescuing those trapped by things like exploitation and modern-day slavery. Their work is intense, but Richard is right. For a lot of people engaged in fighting things like climate change or sex trafficking, those big structural problems, the work doesn't look like busting down doors or unlocking the silver bullet. It actually looks like punching numbers into Excel, or fundraising, or even editing a podcast. But it's that team effort where we each have a role. At the end of the day, it's all about joining into God's work. So, do our small actions matter? I think so. I think that they do make a difference. I totally believe that um, our small actions make a difference to the environment. I do believe it makes a difference. Uh, from a micro level to a macro level. Uh, it's very interesting how uh, everything is linked together uh, in this planet, in this universe, uh, from a spiritual and physical perspective. Um, I do believe that the small decisions and choices we make do affect the greater. Um, for example, I think about bees or uh, even ants, they're small creatures or animals, but they can have a very significant impact on the environment or even the food that we eat. Uh, without the bees, there wouldn't be pollination and food sources for other animals. And uh, that, that small bee makes a big difference in a larger environment. And so I do believe that the decisions that we make can affect others and the environment, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Uh, it's very interesting how even words, a small word, can have an impact on another individual. So everything that we do can significantly impact those around us, the environment, and um, the world itself. So yes, I do believe every decision we make has an impact. Our small actions matter because they are our way of joining in God's work. Believing that our planet already has a savior is great and means that none of us have to worry about trying to be the savior anymore. I'm not the one who has to set the world into motion and I'm powerless when it comes to keeping it in motion. But knowing that I'm in collaboration with its creator and sustainer, that means I just have to do the work that God puts right in front of me and trust him with the rest. Our small actions matter because there are numerous front lines. 
It's true that I may have little say in what happens within massive corporations or at a government level, but that's not to say that anything else I do is completely pointless. I don't need anyone's permission to fund a tree planting in a village in Thailand. And we heard from Tui the impact that can have over time. If one less straw makes it into an ocean, that's potentially one major animal injury avoided. Oh, and our role as voters and consumers, that also has an influence. It might be small, but it counts. If enough individuals demand necessary change from larger institutions, then change becomes more and more possible. Voting with your dollar is a real thing. You know, sometimes it surprises people that the largest sellers of organic produce are places like Costco or Walmart. And Coca-Cola and PepsiCo recently left a big plastics association because their values were misaligned. You know, these big decisions and reinvestments happen as a result of consumer behavior and, and cultural shifts. And every contribution to that ultimately adds up. Finally, it's a matter of the heart. Actions follow. It's not about assigning blame, but accepting responsibility. It's not uncommon for problems to be passed around from one sector to the other as we argue whether it's the role of government or business or individuals to address this. If we want to be the change we wish to see, we need to not just ask whose responsibility is this, but what's my responsibility? Am I doing it? Grassroots is a production of Plant with Purpose, an international Christian nonprofit dedicated to fighting poverty and deforestation because we see that this is one of the most effective ways to stand with the rural poor. To learn more about our work and what you can do to support Plant with Purpose, go to plantwithpurpose.org or follow us on social media at plantwpurpose. We'd like to thank our guests, Shane Claiborne, Nick Lapara, Moonsak Tongi, and Richard Lee for appearing on our show. Be sure to check out Shane's work by following him at Shane Claiborne, Nick's at, at Nick Lapara, and Richard's work at IJM.org. The show was edited and produced by Chad Michael Snavely, and Nick provided our show consultation. Thank you, Chad and Nick. I'm Philippe Lazaro. And I'm Christy Heisinger Renault. Join us for our season finale next episode. And until then, keep practicing resurrection. <laughs> <laughs>